So let me just start by praying for this morning that the Lord would be with us and help us. So, Father, I thank you for your promises to be with us, to never leave us or forsake us, um, that your power is made perfect in weakness. We all feel weak this morning, Lord. We feel very weak as we try to shepherd these little hearts. We feel our weakness, and yet your power is made perfect because at the end of the day, it's all your grace and your work and your spirit, and we thank you for that. So I pray for our time together this morning. I pray you would bless it and meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I read an article recently entitled, The Mental Health Crisis of America's Teenage Girls. I briefly mentioned it on Sunday. I have a a quote in your outline from it. But before I get to that quote, I want to read a little bit of the article to you just to show you kind of what's going on in the world with our kids. This is in World Magazine, written by Allie Beth Stuckey. She says, 57% of teen girls feel persistently sad and hopeless, according to a new study conducted by the CDC, a rate double that of boys, which I think is still astronomically high, even for boys. But the article specifically about girls. It says, this is an increase of almost 60% over the past decade. According to this study, a third, one-third of teenage girls considered killing themselves in 2021. Many point to the smartphone and to social media as the drivers of these trends. Writing for the New York Times, opinion columnist Ross Duthit argues that the most recent technological revolution and the pervasiveness of online politics that came of it are largely to blame. The writer says, I agree that these are parts of the puzzle. I was a teen girl not too long ago, and I often find myself thanking God that I finished high school right before the dawn of apps like Instagram and Snapchat and several years before the birth of TikTok. This meant I was able to navigate an already trying season with all the mental, emotional, physical, and social challenges that puberty brings in person without having to worry about many of the added complications and pressures of virtual reality. And she goes on to say, you know, how people are talking about how it's phones, it's social media, it's politics online. These are the driving factors. And she says this, but in my estimation... The social media and politics-centered analysis is incomplete. It's not just the overt messages teen girls are receiving via their phones that are dragging them into depression. It's the implicit message that all of them carry, which is that we are our own gods. Social media makes it easy to exchange the God of Scripture for the God of self giving us feelings of omniscience and omnipresence. It also deceives us into believing we are the centers of the universe. The content, the algorithms, the advertisements, the color schemes are all personalized to meet our interests. Social media is a constant focusing on ourselves. How we feel, how we look, how we sound, what we want, what we like, while inflating us with a false sense of power by giving us access to an incredible, an incredible amount of knowledge. We are burdened by responsibilities and roles that are only sufficiently carried by God. And it seems that we, young girls especially, are being crushed by the weight of it. And now here's the quote I have in your outline, how she finishes the article. And this is what got me. I think it's very discerning. 
She says a popular response to this new study will likely be, we need to teach girls how to love themselves more, more self-care and self-empowerment. But what if that's exactly what's killing them? What if it's not just the social media itself, but the self-idolatry it represents that's really driving teens into feelings of purposelessness and depression? Girls are already being told nonstop that they're perfect the way they are, that they're enough. If I hear that one more time, something bad is going to happen. And that they just need to love themselves to be happy. These have been the go-to motivational mantras for years. How's that working out for them? The self can't be both the problem and the solution. If, if, if inside themselves, girls are feeling anxiety, depression, and feelings of worthlessness, they're not going to find the solutions to these things in the same place the problem lie. Teen girls today need what people for all time have needed, purpose, joy, satisfaction that exists outside of themselves, namely in the God who created them. Parents can and should get their kids off social media, but the trends won't reverse until we reckon with this truth. I like that article a lot. I actually use it with a lot of our teenage girls in Relay because it gets to the heart, which is the goal of parenting. It's just, I think she's right. We're so prone to, to focus on externals and circumstances and this is the problem and culture and social media and all of those are just a reflection of our hearts. And the goal of parenting is to get to our kids' hearts. We don't want to focus on externals or just the outside. We want to get to the inside. That, and, and this article also made me realize what these teenage girls need are their parents. They need their parents helping them. They need wise, godly, discerning parents shepherding their hearts, walking them through this, helping them to love God, to get their eyes off of themselves. I was sharing this with... Uh, at a Brenner for Relay with the teenage girls, and we were talking about this, self-focus is just a killer of the soul, and we need to get our guys off. And one of the girls said, uh, she said, my mom always tells me, you're thinking about yourself too much. Why don't you stop that and go and serve someone else for a minute? And she said, you know, it's amazing. Every time I do it, I'm happier. I, you know, it just brings joy to me. And I thought, that's good parenting right there. That's what these girls need. They need their heart to be shepherded. There's over 700 and, uh, 750 references to the heart in God's word. Uh, the heart, biblically, is what makes the person who they are. And so in our parenting, what we're going to focus on today is not just behavior. I know you want to hear how to, how do you stop this? How do you keep them from doing this? And I wish I had solutions for all those things. You do have to regulate behavior. That's the first step. Like, you know, they're punching them. You got you to grab the fist and stop it from continuing pummeling them. Uh, but that's the easy job, I feel like. Regulating behavior can be, it's exhausting, but it's easy. But it's getting to the why. Why are you doing that? What's going on in your heart? What, what does God say about that? What does that reflect about you? And what does God say into that situation? We got to get to the why of why they're doing the things they are. We've got to get after that self-idolatry, that self-love, that self-sufficiency. Bring the gospel to bear to their lives. I have several scriptures there just walking through. I know you guys know this, but it's important just to remember a biblical view of the heart. Proverbs 4.23, 20, 
Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Mark chapter 7. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The Pharisees were so focused on the external, the behavior, you know, these these performance. And Jesus just keeps saying, no, 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 no. This is coming. This isn't what's going inside of you. This is what's coming out of you. It's an important just principle for parenting. It's not always what's coming in. It's what's coming out of our kids that we need to shepherd and help. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, it answers, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Your children, as a reminder, are born with this inside of them. They are desperately sick. Their heart is desperately sick. And I always want to remind parents, where did they get that from? They got it from you, okay? It came from you. It's the doctrine of sin. And so you're the perfect person to help them understand it. You're the perfect person to to relate to them and understand their struggles and to come alongside of them. Put your arm around them and say, understand. Here's what God says. Here's what Jesus did to change our hearts. And here's the promise from Jeremiah 31. So Jeremiah doesn't start in chapter 17. It's not the end of the story that the heart is desperately sick. But God makes this promise to us in Jeremiah 31. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's our hope for our kids, that their hearts will be transformed. And I can tell you, when, when you see God working by His Spirit on their hearts, when you see them having a conviction and repenting and turning to the Lord and, and making decisions that honor the Lord, man, it is fun. It just gets fun to see the Lord at work. You see, God is doing this. The Spirit's at work. And our goal really is to shepherd them to that point, to have these categories, to understand this is what's going on. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I need God. This is why Jesus came to die. If we just stay up here on the externals, we miss bringing the gospel to bear on their hearts. This is one of my favorite quotes by Ted Tripp. He says, if authority best describes the parent's relationship to the child. Jake's going to cover that in our next session. The authority being, you know, uh, the parent's relationship to the child. The best description of the activity of the parent is shepherding. The parent is the child's guide. This shepherding process helps a child to understand himself and the world in which he lives. The parent shepherds a child to assess himself and his responses. He shepherds the child to understand not just the what of the child's actions, but also the why. As the shepherd, you want to help your child understand himself as a creature made by and for God. You cannot show him these things merely as instruction. 
You must lead him on a path of discovery. You must shepherd his thoughts, helping him to learn discernment and wisdom. This shepherding process is a richer interaction than telling your child what to do and think. It involves investing your life in your child in open and honest communication that unfolds the meaning and purpose of life. That's a great sentence. It is not simply direction, but direction in which there is self-disclosure and sharing. Values and spiritual vitality are not simply taught, but caught. There's several things in there, in that one quote, I've seen true over the years in parenting. The last point is very true, I found. Values and spiritual vitality are not just taught, but caught. They, they catch them. They catch our values. I don't know if you guys have seen this, um, if you guys have noticed this, this trend. I think it's a trend. Maybe it's been around for a long time where dogs look like their owners. You guys ever notice this? We have found this. We, we, we have this thing as a family where we notice this all the time. So we'll be out in public, we'll be downtown, walking around or something, and some person will walk by with their dog that looks like them, and all the kids are like, look at that. We're gawking, we're pointing, you know, and we found it to be true. Dogs do look like their owners, and I think what's even more true is children are like their parents. Uh, I, I find it hilarious just watching the mannerisms and the way they walk and the way they talk. And I think it's hard to sometimes see with our kids, but you see it in other people's kids. People say that about me, like, man, they're just like you. I'm always like, what are you talking about? They're nothing like me. I'm not like that. Like, oh, yeah, you are, you know. Uh, they imitate us. They end up doing a lot of what we do. Parenting is always happening. It's not just these little moments of instruction. It's, it's constantly happening. Do you ever have this feeling with your kids like you're always being watched? Well, you are. That's a fact. They're always watching you. They're learning from you how to respond in different situations. They're learning how to talk about others. They're listening to your conversation and they're learning. This is how you care for someone. This is how you talk about others. If you are prone as a couple to slander others, your kids are learning what it means to slander. If you're prone to pray for others, they're learning what it means to pray. They're learning how to serve, how to reconcile. They're learning what you do when you sin against another person. These are things you can't just tell your kids, this is what you have to do. They watch you and they learn by watching you. I think Ted Tripp is very right. It's caught, which means a lot of the hard work of parenting is, is our hearts, right? Like, it's, it's about us. It's, it's how am I doing with the Lord? How am I responding? Uh, it, so much of parenting is really about our hearts and how we're doing with the Lord. I always come to parenting seminars thinking, man, the kids are really going to get it now. Like, they're, I'm going to learn. We're going to tighten this ship up. You know, I'm going to have some things to apply. And I always leave going, man, I'm the problem. My kids aren't the problem. I'm the problem. I'm the one. You know, I was talking with a, a dad recently who had his first child. And, he, and I was like, how's it going? And his response was, I just, I didn't know I was that angry of a person. Like, I didn't know that was all in there. And I laughed because I, I remember that exact thing happening when, when our oldest was born, Zeke. I mean, he was probably four weeks old, and he would not stop crying one night. And I was just so angry at him. I was just angry. And you realize, he is four weeks old. He is obviously not the problem. I'm the problem here. 
Like something's wrong with him and I'm angry at him. I'm the problem. I have to work on my heart. I've got to work on my soul. And so just as a reminder, I mean, so much of this is caught. So if you are angry, irritable, harsh, um, you know, if you're lazy, if you're greedy, if you're more concerned about outward appearance than the heart, they're, they're catching those things. They're picking those up. And if you love the Lord, if you're humble, if you love worship and God's word and you're a servant and you're hardworking, they're catching those things as well. Now, none of us are sinless, so we're probably a mixture of both lists. And so the important thing is when, when they're catching those bad things, telling them, I'm sorry. Like, Dad, Dad shouldn't have done that. Mom shouldn't have done that. I, 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 please forgive me for being angry with you. And that's, to me, those are the sweetest moments when our kids learn, this is what it means to be in the gospel. This is what it means to repent. They're catching those things. Another thing Ted Tripp said, one of my favorite sentences, when he says, richer interaction, it's a richer interaction than telling your child what to do and think. It involves investing your life. And just this, this first session, Jake's going to come up in a few minutes and talk about kind of the zero to five, the early years. But I just want to encourage you, man, it, it's worth investing your life into this. Uh, your kids need you. They need all of you. They need you all in. They need you committed to helping them and shepherding them. This is just not another task on our to-do list for the day. This is a calling from God. There, you know, we all have a lot of tasks, but we only have a few callings. Uh, callings supersede everything else. Callings are when we put aside other tasks to focus on this is what the Lord would have me do. You know, you are a disciple of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. He has called you into his kingdom. That's a calling. You're a husband or a wife. That's a calling. And you are called to be a parent. God has entrusted these children to you. He's called you to train them up in the way that they should go. This is worth sacrificing for. It's worth saying no to other things so that you can be all in during the season. There's other things that you can do, you know, later on in life. I think when you're a grandparent, that's a different calling, and it seems like you have more time to kind of hand the kids back, and they deal with it. But as a parent, you've got to be all in because your kids need you to be all in. They need you to be discerning and and studying and paying attention to what's going on and, and, and discerning things going on in their hearts. You need to be engaged. You need to be all in. This is the vision of Deuteronomy 6, which is in your outline. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Notice all of that. It's about our hearts. You know, you shall love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul. You, you should, this should be written on your heart personally. And then once that happens, once it's on your heart, then you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. That last verse it's really all-inclusive. There's two pairs of opposites in Deuteronomy 6-7. And the point is, this should happen anytime and every time, in any place and every place. Any activity and all activities are an opportunity to teach them diligently to your children. I love Deuteronomy 6 because it's very informal, right? It, it's important to have intentional times of 
teaching and training like we do on Sunday mornings. But this is very, Deuteronomy 6 is very informal and spontaneous. All week, we have opportunities to apply this and teach our kids and shepherd them and guide them and help them discern how to interact with the world and how they're processing things. And as we're walking along, the vision is really just as we're going through life, we're just constantly helping our kids direct towards the Lord and think about the Lord and think about how their hearts are doing in relation to the Lord. And a lot of parenting I have found as our kids grow up is discerning the lies of our culture and helping our kids to trust the Lord through all these things. I find that's provided us some of the the greatest opportunities to shepherd their hearts. There's so many lies out there. Uh, You know, we just, we have talked about the lies of our culture in our house for endless hours. I mean, endless hours. As our daughter was in high school and even had Christian friends she was interacting with, I mean, the vision of complementarianism. I don't know how many hours we've spent on this. It's kind of, there's points at night where she brings up the question, and I think, we have talked about this ad nauseum. Like, I don't know, I have nothing else, I have nothing left to say. And then I realize this, this is a heart. This is going on in our culture. There's these lies that are so pervasive. Follow your heart. Believe in yourself. Oh man, if I hear that anymore, like that belief, it's everywhere. I promise you, if your kids are two years old or older, they have heard believe in yourself. They have heard it. It is pervasive. It's everywhere. You are enough. One of my daughter's rooms, the teacher put that on the board. You are enough. And she went to the teacher and said, what does that mean exactly? Enough for what? And I said, thank you. She, she sent me a picture of it. And I was like, don't do this to me. Like, what does that mean? Put yourself first. God just wants you to be happy. That's very pervasive out there. Authenticity is everything. Being your true self. You need to love yourself to be happy. That's the beginning article. I like how she goes. There's just lies underneath the surface that our kids are believing, that that are being pervasive. They're just pervasive on social media. And what I find, the burden that burdens me is when I see parents not discerning these lies and actually helping their kids do this, you know, to believe in themselves. I think, man, where, where is that in God's word, to believe in yourself? Seems like it's always believing in something outside of ourselves. When our kids were little, they'd watch PBS shows, how many times we had to correct that believe in yourself lie. I remember it, wasn't, it was probably a year, maybe two years ago, we were watching the American Girl doll movie, uh, McKenna. You know, American Girl doll. And the big resolving moment, I sat down with Tess, and I was like, I don't want to watch this, but I'm going to watch this with you. She wanted me to watch it. We watched it. And the big resolving moment at the end of the movie was her realizing she needed to believe in herself more so that she could do anything she wanted. And, and, and I just thought, man, that is the American message coming from the American Girl doll. And it was a Deuteronomy 6 moment. Because at the end of the movie, we just sat there and talked about, well, what does that mean? Do you think that's true? You know, what does God say about that? I thought, this is a great moment. Thank you, McKenna, for teeing me up to correct this cultural lie. Walter Chantry, in your outline, selfishness is the controlling force of sinful living. It is the motive which pulsates through the natural mind, emotions, and will. Self-pleasing, self-serving, living for self. The real gospel does not massage self-love. It calls us to repentance and faith in Christ, to die to ourselves, to live for someone greater than us. And, 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 and 
This is all kind of a big introduction just to, to build your faith for your kids need you. Man, they need you to be engaged. They need you to be all in. They need you to be discerning. You can't delegate this. Uh, you can't hand this off to somebody else. You have been made for this moment. You've been entrusted with these little souls and such a privilege just thinking, I get to, I get to introduce them to, this to them. I get to shepherd their hearts. I get to guide them. I get to walk with them. I get to help them discern. I get to share the gospel with them. I get to evangelize them and tell them the good news of the gospel. I get to help them ask questions they'd never ask of their hearts. Why are you doing this? What's going on in here? And everything, everything wants to pull you away from this. Technology, you know, being distracted, um, the busyness of life, running from one place to the next and, and, and not having time to, to talk about these things. Our culture undermining authority uh, is a huge one. Your authority as a parent is being undermined. You've got to build that into your children, that this is good. It's good to be under authority. It's good to be under God's authority. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's being undermined. So much pulling kids away from their parents. It's also just parents being pulled away from their kids distracted working too much you know uh, on technology disengaged our own laziness our flesh fighting against this you know this desire for me time uh i think it just we can be distracted as well so many things are opposed to this wonderful god-designed relationship of parents with their kids shepherding them walking together living life together you know that's the vision we want to instill in you guys this is a great calling it's worth your investment and your time uh, I'll, I'll end on this in this first session i read uh, this book i've been going through hold on to your kids it's it's pretty old now it's almost like 20 years old but it's very revealing they're not even christians they're sociologists and they're just seeing an issue with kids today, and specifically teenagers. And these sociologists are trying to say, what's going on? Why are kids struggling so much? Why are they so immature? You know, why is this happening? Here's a quote in here, uh, one of the many good quotes from this book. They wrote, for the first time in history, young people are turning for instruction, modeling, and guidance, not to mothers, fathers, teachers, and other responsible adults, but to people whom nature, they, they use nature because they're not Christians. I would say God there. It's not nature. But they're seeing there's something here whom nature never intended to place in a parenting role, their own peers. They are not manageable, teachable, or maturing because they no longer take their cues from adults. Instead, children are being brought up by immature persons who cannot possibly guide them to maturity. They are being brought up by each other. And I think, I think social media is a big part of this because they're constantly engaged with each other. They have constant access to one another. And so there's this 24-7 modeling information. And, and this book is trying to say, parents, don't delegate this. Don't be disengaged. Don't hand this off, you know. Friendship's a huge issue, but really parenting is the issue. It's you being engaged with your kids. And so just to build your faith this morning, uh, God, God promises to be with you. 
He promises to help you. He's called you to this. You know, it's challenging. It's hard. There's a lot at stake in our parenting. There's so much opposition against it around us. But man, God is with us. So in light of all the opposition, we hold on to this promise. God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's promised to be with us. He's promised to help us. He's promised that his power is made perfect in weakness so we can boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. And so what we're going to do this morning is just try to build your faith. Just not give you all the little practicals. Here's how you do this, but really just say, You are the person for this. God has called you to this, and he's going to help you. Amen?
You've been listening to a Cornerstone U class given at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Cornerstone U exists to have our minds renewed by the Word of God, to see who God is, and to live in light of His Word and Gospel. To find out more about previous Cornerstone U classes, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com forward slash cornerstone-u.